Welcome to the Joint Economic Outlook webcast with experts from Fiduciary Trust Company and Brookline Bank. I'm Daryl Fess, President and CEO of Brookline Bank, and today you'll hear from Fiduciary Trust's Chief Investment Officer, Hans Olson, and Brookline Bank's Chief Credit Officer, Bob Rose. Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, will moderate the discussion and I'll raise some questions that were submitted in advance by our audience. At Brookline Bank, we appreciate our partnership with Fiduciary Trust as we are both committed to delivering exceptional service and value to our clients. I hope you find the insights shared today useful. Austin, I'll now turn it over to you to kick off the discussion. Thank you, Daryl. At Fiduciary Trust, we too greatly value our relationship with Brookline Bank and are delighted to have this opportunity to have our experts from both organizations come together and share their perspectives. And so with that, we're going to kick it off and talk about the economy. And my first question is to Bob. Bob, how would you describe the current state of the economy in Massachusetts and broader New England region? Well, to start, you know, I think we were all surprised to see a 16% plus unemployment rate in Massachusetts in July. And if you looked at places like Lawrence, Springfield, and Revere, those unemployment rates were between 25 and 30%. Um, and I say surprised because we are not known here in Massachusetts to be a boom and bust kind of economy. Um, our, our strengths, our long strengths of education, medicine, technology, finance, and, and the various and many offshoots of those have been re relatively stable in the short and medium terms. And so I, I think there's a, a hardwired and mechanical side to this, and then there's a behavioral side to this. Um, I think these businesses have a heavy service element and network of dependencies that were far larger than we imagined. And those are the things that have been heavily hit. If you think of science, education, and finance alone, um, fewer grad students working in laboratories mean fewer research dollars flowing into our economy. And fewer students in Alston and Brighton mean rents are falling in Kenmore Square. And the preponderance of financial workers in downtown Boston, you know, they call it the financial district, um, which permitted easy work from home uh, transition. And there was a, just a cascade of things that flowed off of that that are not doing well. I think we underestimated that. Um, and the behavioral side to it, we've seen our leaders here, Governor Baker and the mayors of the big cities, um, take a very cautious approach. Closures and restrictions came quickly um, here uh, in Massachusetts, in Rhode Island, in other places uh, throughout New England. And dare I say, I think we have a generally law-abiding uh, uh, citizenry here. And with a record number of Nobel Prize winners um, across the river over time, over there in Cambridge, um, I think it's fair to say we understand and respect science. So we got at it faster and we hit deeper and harder. Uh, at present, I would say the economy is, is very much a tale of two cities. Something's doing extremely well, and that some of these things might surprise you, and maybe we can talk about those if time permits. 
um, and something's doing badly. Our unemployment rate has moderated a bit. I think it's in the 10 to 11 percent range at present, but it's still not good. I, I look at a fair amount of small business statistics that are based off of hours, uh, hours worked in various businesses, and I can tell you that the best one, the best sector is still off 15 percent of hourly, hourly work from where it was in January, and those at the end of the scale are still off 35 to 40 percent. And, you know, that's very important. Um, time is the enemy here. Uh, time drains capital and liquidity. And some businesses have closed to stop that bleeding. And others keep the game going. And they keep using liquidity and using their capital, making a bet that the other side will be, uh, be appearing soon in their horizon. Clearly, the government uh, programs, the Paycheck Protection Program, and various other programs have been extremely helpful to business and have enabled them to bridge that gap. But they, in and of themselves, are not enough to make this happen. So no doubt we're going to return to some degree of normalcy uh, in time. But, um, you know, Massachusetts is a well-educated, uh, well-capitalized place. We are resourceful as people and we have resources to throw at problems here. Um, but I will end by saying that, um, uh, you know, we're still unsure of what the future is. Um, and we're in that delicate balance of will we continue to improve slowly or will we have a relapse? So it's, it's just not clear at present. Thank you, Bob. It's very helpful and, and, and a good perspective on uh, New England. Hans, how do you take what Bob portrayed as uh, transpiring in New England and translate that out nationally and then globally across the economies? Well, I think the, uh, what Bob describes in the labor market, we see that more broadly across the country as a whole, um, sectors of the labor market that were particularly hard hit, uh, the, the hospitality, leisure, um, retail, uh, even in the uh, professional services around education, as Bob alluded to, uh, were notable standouts in sectors across the country that lost jobs. Um, now, from a larger perspective, the, uh, the economy suffered in the second quarter one of the most catastrophic and abrupt drop in activity that we've ever seen in modern times. And it's on track to, to recover a great deal of that in the, in the third quarter. But it looks like at this juncture, things are beginning to slow. As we're going into the fourth quarter, the final quarter of the year, there are indications that this, the, the, the quick snapback that we saw unfold uh, in, in the third quarter is beginning to slow a bit. And some of it's around uncertainty with, with the election. Some of it's the lack of a renewed uh, round of stimulus. And, and even uh, as we've taped this today, recent data on the employment report suggests that uh, uh, the, the pace of job acquisition has slowed to a level that um, really needs to be reversed in order for us to, to recapture any sense of, of, of normalcy uh, in the year ahead. Hans, building on your uh, topic and also Bob's earlier point, and this is a question for Bob, which sectors, and I think you alluded a little bit to it, uh, in the region were most adversely affected by this? And you talked about trying to see their way through the storm. What have they been doing uh, 
to navigate this? Well, <clears throat> I think we're, we're going to narrow into a few places, but I'll go through them quickly. Certainly travel, air, cruise, and bus, hotels, vacation properties have done fairly well this summer, um, but business hotels are running at, if they're lucky, 30% capacity. Everything related to sports, um, entertainment, theater, concerts, um, restaurants uh, are the poster child. The, their business model simply doesn't work at less than 100% of capacity. And even behind the wall in the kitchen, they're working cheek to jowl, and they're prohibited from doing that under the current restrictions. Certain retail, for sure. We were over-retailed to begin with, and many of those retailers were bearing too much leverage, too much debt, and they're now paying the price. Exercise and health clubs. Education, we've all mentioned that. Colleges with big sports programs have been absolutely hammered. Um, executive education, which is really the travel business, travel and entertainment, um, um, is not doing well. However, some private schools have had an increase of enrollments. Medical practices covering elective matters. Odd things pop up from time to time. They had to raise the water and sewer rates in Amherst, Massachusetts, because the five college consortium didn't bring enough people back and the remaining citizens have to bear the cost of running a, a system built for thousands more people. Some things I'm waiting on, and when I say I, I mean the banking industry, apartments in the city are beginning to um, show a little sign of deterioration. There is an exodus out of, out of the city, not Boston, all cities, to leafy suburbs. And office space and retail, you know, it was sort of overpriced to begin with, some people say. Foreign investment has disappeared quickly uh, in, in real estate sectors. And the uh, trend of working from home, not new. The trend of shopping uh, on the Internet, not new. But the current events have torn, ripped those things forward into the future, five to seven years um, and so we're watching, you know, real estate dedicated to those activities as another weakness. Bob, could you explain a little bit more about what banks did to help companies make it through or continue to make it through this time? Yes. Um, well, the first thing we did was recognize early on that we, we needed to be helpful. We needed to be very helpful in a different kind of way. And my lesson in my career has been the blizzard of 78. Um, many people might remember that, but it was an event that caused everyone to shut everything down for a couple of weeks. And, you know, so liquidity was important. Granting payment moratoriums was important. And this is that turbocharged. So we knew we had to provide liquidity. We knew we had to act quickly and not be terribly demanding of customers People in trouble want help. They don't want to be, you know, given 50 questions to answer before you help them. The government was very helpful, and the government uses banks to distribute aid uh, when things like this happen. The Paycheck Protection Program is one area that has been extremely, extremely uh, well-liked by businesses. It's essentially money that they can use to pay salary during this time period, pay rent, and other qualified expenses. And, you know, our company, as did many other banks, made quite a few of these loans during this time period. There have been several other loan programs, less popular than Paycheck Protection, that have been offered, but again, are filling the void of, of capital and liquidity as we go forward. The regulators 
and bank auditors have also been very helpful. So to have those sectors work together, the government with the aid, bankers being being wanting to be helpful and get their customers through this, and then the regulators allowing you to grant payment deferments. Um, you know, we were very early and very quick when our customers asked us for help, and we can grant up to 180-day deferments without any adverse criticism from our regulators. And, you know, this is in contrast to the downturn of 89 through 91, when regulators were uh, not as helpful as they are today and may have exaggerated it a little bit. Most of the people that we have helped during this time period um, have returned to, um, to uh, you know, not quite their, their earlier robust state, but, you know, returned to a very acceptable level of, of uh, health. Bob, you bring up an important point about sort of on-the-ground involvement with businesses and helping them navigate it through. And it's a helpful pivot to monetary policy and interest rates. The Fed has embarked on an unprecedented expansion of its balance sheet, including purchasing of high-yield bonds, as well as cutting the federal the Fed funds rate to near to zero. And so, Hans, I'd love to hear your thoughts my general sense of this has been successful, at least in the short term, as it stabilized markets. But what do you see as the medium and long-term implications of these actions? Well, the dimension, the response, uh, Austin, as Bob said, uh, a number of industries, diverse industries, have all have been adversely, incredibly adversely impacted uh, by the pandemic. And when you when you look at it overall from a, a global level and a national level. Global GDP this year is expected to decline more than 4%, and, and it's expected to decline something similar in the United States. So that kind of decline over the course of a year necessitated a, a fairly, fairly muscular response. Perhaps, and it got a double-barreled response, quite frankly, from both the fiscal authorities, Congress, and the monetary authorities, the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve increased its balance sheet roughly 75%, uh, almost over the course of a month. It was utterly remarkable. It went from about $4 trillion to $7 trillion in the size of the balance sheet. Now, that balance sheet increased because they were buying everything from commercial-backed mortgages to uh, investment-grade bonds and even high-yield bonds. So they, they really came at it in a very aggressive way. They were also buying inflation-adjusted securities. And then they all that that happened in conjunction with a cutting of the interest rates effectively to zero. And then on the other sort of barrel of the gun, if you will, uh, was the the fiscal response, and and that uh, came through the you know the the auspices of Congress through the Paycheck Protection Program and the like. That was more than two trillion dollars. So that's roughly 13% of GDP. Uh, so that's, that was a fair amount right there as well. So you put the, those two together and you've got a, a basically a massive pulse of both credit and uh, fiscal stimulus to, to help the economy along. And it's had an impact. The question then becomes, what's the longer term consequences to this? And, and it's going to take some time to to have that be revealed. Um, certainly there are concerns about the lack of price discovery when you have the central bank uh, bidding beside uh, private buyers and, uh, for assets. Uh, the central bank really doesn't care about making a profit the way that private actors do. So consequently, the, the traditional 
price signals that are determined between buyers and sellers acting in their economic best interest is getting muddied uh, by the overwhelming presence of the central bank. Perhaps we're seeing this play out in uh, the tips market right now, the, the market for inflation-adjusted securities, where they help set market-derived expectations for inflation. Um, based on the numbers there, it looks like the Federal Reserve is helping to support future inflation expectations. But when you look at, at sort of the, the market um, uh, levels of prices that we see right now, they're a bit lower. So this, this is, this is, a lot of this remains to be seen. It also is dependent upon, do we get a second wave of infections? Do we get a, a, another round of stimulus? And failing any of those, or in the presence of one and failing the other, is, is a more, mu even more muscular response needed, such as negative interest rates or the uh, broadening out of assets that the bank can purchase. So pretty much anything is up for grabs at the moment. The Europeans are ahead of us in this uh, way. They actually have negative interest rates. The stock of, of uh, debt around the globe currently with a negative sign in front of it numbers about $16 trillion. If you, if you inflation, if you take the stock of debt that has a negative real return, which is a, a return below the rate of inflation so that its purchasing power is dissipating, that number is something on the order of about $36 trillion. Big numbers indeed. Bob, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on navigating these uh, historically low interest rates, which my sense uh, creates demand uh, for borrowing. At the same point, the uncertainty that Hans spoke about, um, significant unemployment, uncertain uh, future. What do you see as, the, as it relates to the demand for credit? and also borrowers' creditworthiness? Well, it is, uh, what we're observing is that demand for credit is off. Um, and, you know, bank balance sheets may not grow much in this time period, and they could shrink a little bit. Um, business people do not take risks in times of uncertainty. They tend to sit tight. M&A is off, expansion of plants, adding properties to your holdings. So the sort of normal things are not happening. Um, we have a lot of discovery of working at home um, and how that is affecting people's plans for office expansion. So there is hoarding of cash. There is testing of lines of credit and accumulating cash from drawing down, repayment of debt, and everyone's waiting for a sign. Um, Sellers of real estate are beginning to lower their prices to, um, to move an asset. And I could ask, you know, what's the difference between a $10 million condominium and a $6 million condominium? The answer is not much. Um, maybe just the time and the date at which you sell it. Um, <clears throat> banks are open for business. Um, we're being a little extra careful at the moment. We're sensitive to the to the discussion of uh, continued disruption. We um, you know, pay attention to liquidity and capital um, and the potential for future, future deterioration. Um, you know, a plan B and a plan C is a very important thing to have today because plan A might not be working out. We do value our relationships greatly. 
Uh, and this is a time when people need to have strong relationships in all of their business dealings. But if people wish to take advantage of low interest rates, and there are a few smart people starting to look around for things, right? If you have depressed asset prices and very low borrowing costs, you have a great formula for things taking off again. Bob, given that perspective of what you're seeing right now, and that married with a hope that I think is broadly shared that there may be a vaccine in the beginning part of next year, what's your outlook for the New England region uh, for the beginning part of 2021? Well, we hope and pray it's better. Um, you know, that's, that's not a great certainty. Um, I look for a slow and steady return. The things that have been slowly coming back most likely will continue to come back. Um, I'm beginning to think that behaviors are going to continue to be very different by age cohort. Um, and things that young people are willing to do will come back quickly. Um, and things that older people do may not. I like to think about an experience that my wife and I had last year. We saw Arlo Guthrie, um, great entertainer, great show. We were the youngest people in the audience. Um, we also saw Death Cab for Cutie. We were by far the oldest people times two in the audience. My guess is that each of those bands will have a different snapback. Um, you know, quick to go to see Death Cab, we're not gonna ever see Arlo again, kind of a thing. And, you know, there are industries that dedicate themselves to those things. So um, I'm thinking whatever you and I and our children are comfortable doing um, are the things that everyone else will be comfortable doing. And it's just going to take patience and understanding. Hans, do you see a similar forecast for 2021 nationally? And also, how do you think uh, globally uh, as this relates? So the expectations for 2021 are pretty good. Uh, a global snapback uh, growth on the order of about 5%. Here in the United States, the expectations are much more modest, something closer to about 3%, according to the International Monetary Fund. But I think the, uh, as you look out beyond that, because essentially COVID will be with us for some time because it'll take time to manufacture, distribute. Uh, this is the first version of the vaccine uh, for you to get sort of this, this um, uh, herd immunity that people talk about. Uh, the expectation is we won't see anything uh, where the, the drop off of localized flares uh, of this until sometime in the end of 2022. And the problem with that, of course, is, is that the longer you get these disruptions, the more harmful it is to the accumulation of human capital, education, and things like that. As education is disrupted, it's harder for people to train up and to acquire the necessary skills. And then, you know, as we, as we see, if you go to any restaurant uh, these days, um, all the, uh, the, the precautions and all the infrastructure and the processes put into place to prevent the virus's spread really are, are a hindrance to productivity. And these productivity hindrances will likely continue. So when we look beyond the snapback that we're likely to see in, in 2021, we're probably going to operate at a lower level of GDP for a number of years going forward. Recent forecasts from the uh, uh, 
Congressional Budget Office uh, forecast U.S. GDP down around 1.5%, which is roughly half of what it has grown at since uh, the late 1940s. A big change. Hans, we've been talking about the economy and the current trajectory of the economy and where we see that going. But there seems to have been a, a real disconnect between the stock market. Um, and can you talk about and explain a little bit of your perspectives about the path that the stock market has taken over the last seven months and where you see it going? There's not only a, a break between the stock market and the economy, but there's also breaks within the stock market itself. So you know, while the economy has fallen into recession, equity markets have, uh, fell and then recovered very quickly, and they're up actually for the year to date. So they're higher than when uh, the pandemic broke out. And that's, I think, principally due to two things, the belief that a, a, a vaccine will be found and that we'll have more fiscal stimulus along with monetary assistance in order to get the economy through the pandemic. So markets are doing what they always do is they're price forward um, future events. That said though, there are real dislocations within the market. So if you look at uh, the S&P 500, the, the, the index we hear when we're driving home at night from work, when we turn on the TV and watch CNBC or Bloomberg, that index is a market, weight, market cap weighted index. Right now, it's up about 9% year to date. If you take that same index, those same stocks, and you reorder them on an equal weighted basis, the index is actually down. So there's a nine percentage point uh, uh, difference in the same group of stocks, depending upon how they're reported. I know it sounds crazy, but that is uh, sort of what's at play. The, the technology sector has done phenomenally well. And again, that is very tech heavy. So you have a part of the market that has performed spectacularly. That's reflecting sort of this new order of things where we're doing things remotely, like this conversation today. And then there are other companies that have truly been left out of the uh, left out in the cold. And so that that dichotomy is something that is very hard to sustain over long periods of time. To put the, to mention this, the uh, concentration of the S and P 500, where the top one percent account for about a quarter of the index's weight, you'd have to go back more than twenty years in order to find a time when the market is that top-heavy. And that typically isn't something that uh, can sustain itself uh, going forward. So there has to be a change in the leadership in the market as we go forward here. Hans, let me ask one final question, which is, given the dynamics that we've talked about in the economy, in the credit markets, in the monetary markets, are there one or two um, points that you would um, advise investors to think about over the back end of this year that might serve them well? Without a doubt. So we're, you know, the big news uh, ahead of us is the election. And everyone, certainly the conversations that I've had with investors, indeed with peers and other market players is, is what's going to happen. Well, who wins? Uh, how, do you, how do you express uh, the uncertainty in a portfolio? And if you go back and if, if, if history has anything to say on this, and it does, is that it's trying to bet on electoral outcomes is, a, is, is not a good bet. Uh, it's not a winner's bet. 
Because the reality is, is that markets tend to go up regardless of who is elected, whether uh, it, it turns over from one administration to another. As long as you're in an environment where earnings can grow, uh, people can transact, um, people tend to make money. And in, when people are making money, stock prices tend to go up. But that said, um, it is likely, and regardless of who gets elected because of the size of the deficits that we've had to run uh, in order to help the economy uh, during this period of pandemic, tax, tax rates are going to change. Um, we were running a trillion dollar deficit even before the outbreak of the pandemic. That really isn't a sustainable state of affairs. Um, so I would think, right, between uh, now and the end of the year, it would be a great time for people to look through their portfolios, not to make big bets, but if you've owned stocks that perhaps are not profitable or, or sort of have been darlings of the year, now would be a great time to think about taking gains there because you'll be able to keep significantly more of the proceeds than you will be uh, when taxes go up as they are expected to in the new year. Hans, thank you. And Bob, thank you for your perspectives. Now, let me turn it over to Daryl to walk us through some questions that were submitted by our audience today. Daryl? Great. Thank you. It's been a great discussion. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who has submitted questions uh, for Bob and for Hans. We have a couple more that were late breaking. Uh, so let's, let's jump right into them. Bob, where do you see the housing and commercial real estate markets going in the next 12 to maybe 24 months? Well, clearly, single-family homes are doing very well, especially uh, homes for first appropriate for first-time home buyers. I had previously mentioned a little bit of exodus out of cities, as as people decide that being in a dense place, working from home, they just want to be out where there's a little more space around them, and um, what was a previously hot market with multiple bidders, dropping of contingencies, etc., has gotten only worse, extremely well. On the commercial side, warehouse space and space that can be converted into transportation-like properties are doing very well. Um, the uh, internet shopping, grocery shopping, um, you know, demands more transportation logistics, and certainly inside Route 128 or inside any city, um, where there are large numbers of people, uh, places that have warehousing, docks, big parking lots are rare, and they're, they're just doing very well. There is downward pressure emerging on office properties. I mentioned, I mentioned that before. The sublet market in office properties has uh, grown quite a bit as people are rethinking their plans to uh, need all the space they had before. Retail clearly um, is under some stress. If you drive up and down Newbury Street and look at the empty storefronts, um, they're growing. They're not, they're not shrinking. Um, and uh, I mentioned an early trend appearing in apartment properties. Um, and it doesn't take much, you know, much in the way of vacancy to move rents down, which eventually puts pressure on prices. Hans, we discussed earlier the U.S. equities market. Are there any alternative investments that you would consider in today's environment? So, Daryl, the area outside the U.S. equity market that I find most interesting right now, indeed, has captured my attention, has been the residential mortgage-backed market. 
Now, this is the market where uh, lo mortgage loans are sold into, so investors can buy them and enjoy the income off them. And as Bob said, uh, single-family housing is doing very well. Seasoned residential mortgage-backed securities represent very nice value these days. You're getting a nice yield on them when there's no yield to be had because interest rates are effectively zero. Uh, and the loan-to-value in these securities are actually very low because housing prices are up. Uh, and they represent, for our, by our way of thinking, very nice value and a potentially a very nice addition to a portfolio. So, Bob, uh, what types of businesses are actually doing well during this unique environment we're in? Well, believe it or not, this morning I was talking with a fellow who sits on the Jewelry Board of Exchange. It's an industry association. Jewelers are having a bang-up year. Um, they got a bit of a drop-off in the first first part of the year, understandably, but people seem to be treating themselves. And the manufacturers, as well as the retailers, are seeing unprecedented demand, breaking records for jewelry sales. Um, who would have thought that was going to happen? Used car, used car prices are very strong. And so people that have large fleets of rental cars at airports that aren't being used, they sell them off into the used car market. And um, because people are leaving the city, moving to the suburbs, they're buying cars, some of them for the first time, they're buying used cars, as well as people not wanting to take public transportation all across the United States. Uh, very positive. I mentioned houses in the suburbs, apartments in the suburbs are doing very well. Vacation homes, both sales and rentals of vacation homes are reflective of people wanting to get away and, you know, control their own destiny. Um, anything with a drive-up window, um, including banks, you know, we have actually closed residential mortgages in drive-up windows. The lawyer comes onto the banker side and uses it to pass the papers out to the customers sitting in the car. Pretty, pretty nice stuff. Um, food, anything Anything to do with entertaining yourself at home and food is especially burgeoned and all the supplies into that. Um, and the building trades, remodeling around people's new needs. Um, we all know people that have multiple young adults, college kids or uh, young college grads who are now working at home with their parents who are also working at home. And so the alteration of your space to accommodate that. Um, as well as a little more leisure activity at home and making things comfortable have, uh, you know, driven all the supplies and all the, all the tradesmen into, again, a, a near record years. Um, two areas that we mentioned as negatives that are having a little bit of a transformation that never would have happened. So people in the education business are saying, yes, we're having a tough time. But the last true innovation in education was the printing press, uh, which enabled um, teaching to move from lectures to, oh, here's a book and you can read these chapters and we'll come back and talk later. Um, teaching online is very exciting to people in the education business and they think they can open new markets um, and reach new levels of people, as well as virtual doctor's visits. I've had one myself and you know, it's just as easy talking to the doctor, holding up your finger if you hit it with a hammer and they're looking at it or something like that, 
And they're very excited about that as well. So not everything is bad. There are some surprisingly good things going on. Great. Well, hey, it's nice to end on something positive. Um, that wraps up the questions that we have for today. I'd like to thank our audience for joining us and to Bob and Hans for sharing their perspectives. Also, Austin, we really appreciate the collaboration uh, with this event uh, as it serves both our joint clients. Daryl, we too appreciate our partnership. And I would also like to thank our audience for joining us and encourage them to reach out to both Fiduciary Trust or Brookline Bank if we can be of assistance to them individually, their families, or their businesses. Again, thank you. If we can be of assistance, please reach out to us. For Fiduciary Trust, please reach out to Rick Tyson at 617-292-6799 or Tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. And for Brookline Bank, please reach out to Paul Flannery at 617-927-7953 or pflannery at brkl.com. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. They discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice and you should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with your investment, legal, or tax advisor. Copyright Fiduciary Trust Company.